0: So no. Welcome to the great big beautiful podcast. Another episode of Unplugged and we finally, Jamie, have a round table put together. Kind
1: of. it's kind it's, it's a triangle table.
0: Yes. <laughs> and uh, to you know, Jamie, you know what? Why don't you talk about who we we have with us today? Do you know you know with Bio? <laughs> Well
1: we pleased to have Rick Rebello with us. Um Rick, I was uh I'm gonna let you sort of give your own intro, but I uh I just wanna say off the bat I was uh it was a pleasure to be a guest on your podcast. Um we talked a little bit about Star Wars Rebels, um and you guys are doing some great stuff over there. So I hope you you know plug away and just tell people who you are, where you come from and where they can find you. Yeah, I am Rick Rebello. I co host Two podcasts, Hey You Geeks, uh, which covers
2: geek culture, and Dadawan, which focuses primarily on Star Wars uh, with Tony Noons. And Tony and I have been doing this stuff, I think we're on our fourth year. Um, and, you know, we, we're both Rhode Island natives, and we actually met making independent films uh, out of Rhode Island mm. and uh, decided we were going to do a little show together. We've been doing it
1: ever since. That's awesome. And you guys are also part of the uh, Geek Dad Podcast Network, right? Yes, we do. Yes, yes we are. Yes, you are. Yes um well great well it's, it's it's a pleasure to have you i'm so glad uh, you could join us tonight oh well, thank you for having me so what we're gonna before we jump in you know justin i gotta say this uh, you know this is one of our unplugged episodes right and you saying that off the bat i think i feel like we need to have some sort of a sound effect of like like an unplugging sound effect
0: okay like,
1: <laughs> i think we need to have something like that yeah, something
0: that, that something that lets people know that we're we're just it's just not as good as i reckon yeah.
1: <laughs> it's sort of like
0: like <laughs> b-level Yeah, (laughs) you know, brace yourselves, guys.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, we jest, we jest. Um, Tonight, or today, this episode, we're talking a little bit about Deadpool. The second half of this episode, we'll intro it a little bit later, but uh, Justin and I got to talk to uh, Greg LaSalle, who, this is interesting, he was the face capture um, actor for Colossus Mm -hmm. in, in Deadpool, um, so he was just the face. He he actually also won. Um, he was part of the team that won a, a technical academy award for developing basically this this cutting edge, groundbreaking technology to do that facial capture. So you don't have to put all the little dots on your face to do the mocap anymore. Right. Um, and so he was the face of Colossus. Um, and one of the big reasons we have Rick t- today with us is because over on your show, you guys talked to Stefan Kapicic, who is the voice of Colossus, and who I thought was also the body. Like, they, he did the motion capture for the body. Um, mm. But Rick, you're well, saying that's not the case?
2: No, uh, Stefan, I guess, is 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and he said that the director wanted somebody about 7' foot mm-hmm. uh, to do the body capture. Uh, so Stefan does uh, just the voice, primarily. And Stefan... Had done a lot. I, I didn't realize that he, over in Yugoslavia, he does a lot of voiceovers for all of the American animated films that go over there. Okay. So he had. He actually has been doing uh, voice, voice work for quite a long time. And he's done, I believe, 70 films. Wow. <laughs> between Yugoslavia and uh, the United States. And now that's you... just films that he's acted in, not films that he's done voice work.
1: Yeah, (laughs) is is this his first like film sort of appearing in English in an American film? No, he was actually in some episodes of Twenty Four. Oh, really? And
2: yeah, he's done a lot of action television. You know, whenever they need sort of a Eastern European heavy, yeah, Yeah. he's one of the guys. One of the the go-to guys in the last few years. So you've probably seen him quite a bit.
0: Yeah. He's he's and probably he's one of those guys bad. where you know who he is, but you don't know who he is. You don't know what I mean? You see his face like, exact. Oh, that, guy. Oh, that him.
1: Yeah. Whenever they that need Rush- a Russian, the Russian, they call dude. him that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean we're we're gonna link to that episode of your show and we really encourage everybody to go listen to it. But is there, are there any were there any like gems or nuggets that you can pull out that you think were, you know, really just intriguing that he talked about?
2: Well, I mean, you know, obviously, we talked a little bit about, you know, how I asked him what his opinion was about how Fox, how the pro, how how they set up all of the the PR, the great job they did promoting the movie, mm-hmm. and you know, he was blown away because he had never seen anything like it. I don't think anyone has really. Yeah, uh, all the different things they did to advertise and sell mm-hmm. this film, especially unconventionally. Uh, he had been a uh, X Men fan since he was a young kid in Yugoslavia. His grandfather had bought him. Uh, his first comic was an X Men comic over in Eastern Europe back when he was about ten or eleven years old. Uh, mm-hmm. So he had been reading the books the whole time. So he was very happy and surprised when he was offered uh, the role to play Colossus.
1: So. Yeah. So Rick, have you, you have you seen the movie?
2: Yes, I have. And what do you think? I mean. Well, I really enjoyed the movie. I, You know, I thought it was it was funny and it was reverent. I, I had been reading Deadpool since the 90s, you know, when, when Rob Liefeld had originally, you know, brought the character in, and I've seen sort of the evolution of the character over time because he was, you know, he always had a mouth, but he wasn't as silly as he is nowadays. Yeah. You know, the only, my my only, and it's a very minor complaint about the movie is I just felt that the uh, villain, Ajax, was a little weak. Um, it seemed secondary. You know, for some reason, Marvel movies... I think a lot of them just don't have very strong villains. And I thought that this was another example of that. Um, ironically, Marvel TV, I was just watching the trailer for uh, the second trailer for Daredevil. Marvel TV has tremendous villains. Yeah,
1: One would argue that they're far better than the ones we see in the movie theater. Well, do you think uh, that it's just because they they have, just like the characters, they have more time to be developed? I think that's what it is.
2: Yeah. I think it's what it is. I mean, you know, partially, you know, when you're talking about Vincent D'Onofrio and and you're talking about um, oh my mind just went blank on Doctor Who there, but when you're talking about the characters they've picked for villains thus far, they also have tremendous actors in those roles. Yeah, um, David Tennant. It's David Tennant. Yeah, I mean we talk about Vincent D'Onofrio and David Tennant. You know David Tennant's a you know, Shakes you know royal Shakespearean actor, and D'Onofrio has a gigantic body of work going all the way back to working with Kubrick. Whereas I think that the the villains that we've seen so far in the movies have not, you know, they've been okay actors, but they certainly haven't been uh, the quality we've seen on television. So,
1: yeah. And they're usually at least I mean, there are exceptions, but they're always they're buried under so much makeup. Right. That even if they are well-known actors, it's sort of like they they have to present themselves as this alien menace rather than just letting their acting just just be menacing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where David Tennant was just a guy in a purple suit. And he was terrifying. Yeah. Terrifying. It's like he was probably, I think he's hands down like the most unsettling, scary villain in anything Marvel has done. No, I agree. I agree.
2: Yeah. That was very disturbing. And Even D'Onofrio. You know, D'Onofrio had the perfect tone uh, to play the Kingpin. He was just menacing without being overblown.
0: Yeah. He was perfect, and I remember in in the scene where uh, Daredevil first meets Kingpin in out of costume. He's standing in an art gallery, and Kingpin walks in behind him. You just you feel that tension yeah. there, and it was yeah. it was one of the greatest scenes I think I've seen in a long time in a TV show. Yeah. It was so good.
1: <laughs> and that that's all D'Onofrio. I think anybody else in that role could have brought life to the character, but he's just such a creepy guy anyway. Now, mm-hmm. that, like, that's his shtick, you know, like he brings that that creepy, unsettling mm. bad guy vibe. And he just he knocked it out of the park.
2: Well, a lot of people think when well, they're supposed to play menacing villains, that they're supposed to run around and eat up the scenery like, you know, Jack Nicholson did in Batman. Right. But that's just not the case. You know what I mean? I think both of those performances showed you that, if anything, the opposite is true. Mm-hmm. and that there was a lot of internal stuff going on with both of those characters that made them far scarier than somebody who was just jumping around and yelling at the top of their lungs.
1: Yeah. But if it had been a two-hour Daredevil movie... I don't know right, right. That no, would have been nearly as good. No, they he wouldn't have had the time to grow, and he would have had to just run around and chew up the scenery just to just basically telegraph to the audience, like, hey, I'm the bad guy. You right, know. I'm, so, I'm
2: so terrible. Yeah, you know.
1: look at what I can do.
2: Yeah. Now, Michael Clark Duncan did not have the gravitas of uh, Vincent D'Onofrio.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting, because I think I mean, it's that's that's a really good point. Like a lot of the movies. Um, they've been, you know, less than impressive. I mean, they've been good. They've been good. In, in vill- villains, we're talking about. Yeah. I and mean, They've been yeah. good. But it's, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I can't even remember the villains, you know, the second Thor movie, you know, right. and. Ironically, I think the best villain or the the villain that had the most character was Ultron and he wasn't even a face. You know, he was just the robot on
0: screen just to take it back a little bit to Deadpool itself. It is just blasting through uh, the rankings for box office today. I'm reading an article on Forbes and it's saying it took in today across two hundred and fifty million dollars in 13 days. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's in territory with like it's crossed Spider-Man, Toy Story 3 even for for the time period that it's in so people are loving it and do you think i i guess what i wanted to ask what you guys think do you think that disney is looking at this at all and thinking because this is a different type of comic book movie right it's more crude it's rated r are they looking at this wondering you know is it possible we can kind of cross into this maybe well
1: i mean they've already said that um the new wolverine the last wolverine movie is going to be rated r and Warner Brothers has said that Batman vs Superman, once it's released for Blu-ray, there will be an R-rated cut of it. Now, I don't know who's screaming for an R-rated Superman movie, but clearly Warner Brothers thinks somebody is. I am a little bit more unsure about whether Disney and Marvel Studios thinks that that's the direction they want to go. Because they've been, they've been having phenomenal success sort of towing the line of being not really family-friendly, but sort of PG-13, you know? And I can't think of any one of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies that have really that really would have benefited from an R rating.
3: And, and I also
2: think, you know, James Gunn wrote an article, he, he tweeted out that he was concerned that the movie companies would get the wrong message about the success of Deadpool. Exactly. And I agree with him 100%, because... It, it's not that it was R rated. It, it was the fact that, I mean, if you had gone to conventions in the last five years, you know, you go to New York Comic Con or uh, San Diego Comic Con, there were armies of Deadpools. Yeah. I mean, there was literally 50, 60, 100 people deep of Deadpools. You know, I, people did took for granted the enormous fan base this character had. You know, that, yeah, I'm a professor and like I, my students wear Deadpool stuff to class all the time. Yeah. You know, it's something that we talked about. Uh, we've talked about the success of it because, you know, this movie has broken the mold. Because we, since the nineteen seventies, we've had this belief that the only way you make a quarter of a billion dollars is you've got to come out on Labor Day. Yeah. So this changes everything, and tells us it doesn't matter when, when a film comes out. And Star Wars did that too yeah. at Christmas time. Uh, but like I said, I, I definitely think they're getting the wrong message. It's 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 not. The rating and it's not the profanity it's
1: the content it's it's the other stuff and that it's true to the character right you know you can't you can't stay true to a character like deadpool and give it a pg rating you know no. that's that's not who that character is that it's a very raunchy r-rated adult character even though kids love him it's an adult character and making an r-rated superman movie i think is not being true to that character
2: so I agree 100%. it's
1: definitely that they're getting the wrong message.
2: No, and I, I think we'll see a lot of bl- I mean, Warner Brothers is already concerned about Batman Superman. They've already let out some feelers that they're not quite happy with the movie. Yeah. And, you know, part of it is that. I mean, it's, it's not Superman. It really it's kind of insulting to people who've loved Superman their whole lives and who grew up watching the Richard Donner movies and why they feel that Batman and Superman should have the same tone. I have no idea. It makes no sense to me at all. Yeah. It's, it's it's not. It's it's all about tonality. You know, you said it earlier. Tonality, and you know what makes Daredevil the TV show great versus Daredevil the Ben Affleck movie was the tonality. You know how how they dealt with it, and uh, I don't know. I just think they got the wrong idea.
0: Perhaps the lack of Ben Affleck made it better too. <laughs> it could be. That could be why Warner Brothers is worried about.
1: Well, what what I think is. What's interesting is the different business models. You know, I mean, Marvel and Disney had this out of the gate, incredible success with their shared universe. And so now everybody's trying to capitalize this and create this shared universe when one maybe doesn't even deserve to exist. Um, And I would say that most of the Marvel movies, the films, have uh, I don't know that I'd call them lighthearted, but they have, they're fun, you know? And this is, the, this is what, you know, it's been said ad nauseum at this point. But they're fun. They have lighthearted moments. They have serious mm-hmm. moments. They're action-y. But they're just, in the end, you—you you, the credits roll, it was a fun ride. Correct. And now that they have the Netflix shows, that's their time to take characters that don't necessarily equal fun. You know what I mean? I mean, they can have fun moments, but I don't think Jessica Jones or Dare, or Daredevil, you know, they wouldn't benefit staying true to those characters and those stories. They wouldn't benefit from having a, uh, you know, like the Tony Stark, you know, one liners or like tongue in cheek mm-hmm. things. And,
0: and in doing that, they can bring in characters like the Punisher, who's going to be in the next epi- uh, season of exactly. Daredevil. And he's one of my favorite characters in comics of all time. And I've been—I'm really excited about that—that that he's going to be in this because I yes. think that they'll finally do him right. Um, I, I like Tom James, but, but but I'm really hoping that this will push it the next level. I,
2: I'm a, I'm right there with you. I, I've always been a huge Punisher fan. Uh, I was lucky enough uh, to meet the current Punisher about two months ago at uh, Rhode Island Comic Con. He had come down. I can't uh, think of his name. He's the guy from The Walking Dead, he, right? He yeah. he
0: was in the Fury too, I think. With
2: fury and walking dead yeah yeah um but um, it's on. The t- i don't know why i can't think of it It's on the tip of my tongue you guys got me nervous tonight i can't focus <laughs> <Uh-oh. right now. laughs> Here, we, will,
0: we will look it up and we can make you sound but, smart but, but <laughs> the
2: punisher you know the punisher it's very interesting because you know the dolph lundgren punisher had some elements but not all the thomas jane punisher i think the, the budget screwed that movie over it yeah. was with lionsgate they shot it in tampa Mm, right <laughs> which to this day i still can't get over it you know they they kill his family in like this you know tropical paradise mm. and the whole time i'm sitting there going well thomas jane's fine but this story right. is just you know his
0: uh the guy in the Daredevil was is john bernthal yeah john Burnthal, yes, yes
2: yes yeah i got to, i got uh i got to meet john Burnthal a couple months he was literally he had just come off the set he had driven from new york all the way to providence hmm. um, so that was really cool to get a couple of minutes with him, and he was pretty stoked. He was he was definitely into it. Uh, he was looking forward to going back. Well, you and,
0: know, uh, yeah, I, I like I re- I really think he's going to come onto the show and he's it's going to be run like he's going to be everyone's favorite character. I don't know. Maybe I'm just biased because I'm a big fan. Well the, but... <laughs> well, the one thing
2: I noticed just from the trailer, just just from the, the little clips of the Punch of the Trailer, as you know, he looks like a guy who's having PTSD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, he looks like a guy... He doesn't look like a guy who's trying to be tough. He looks like a guy who's lost something, and that something is broken inside of him, and that's what the Punisher should be. You right. know, he should have that... There should be that element, that sort of travel, Travis Bickle element of him... Right. ...where he lost his humanity somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, and... And I thought, like I said, Thomas Jane was good And I, I enjoyed Ray Stevenson too But I, I really think this is going to be
0: something special And and I really wouldn't uh, put it past them If he is a hit To have his own series on Netflix after no. So um, with with uh, Deadpool as well There was a lot of talk And it was more last week that people were talking about it But About taking your kids to go see it And I saw a lot of people <laughs> I actually did see people Saying they were going to take their kids to it so, yeah. uh, is that something you think that you guys think we should be, you know, should we be telling other parents, don't take your kids to this or should it be oh. something that they should just, I, you know, I know think it was, to
1: do? it was a huge thing. I mean, there was, I mean, we did it on geek dad and we saw, I saw it on lots of different websites and lots of different people just put, putting it out there that listen, it might be a superhero character. Your kid might love Deadpool from some of the animated shows that they've seen, right. but this is not a kid's movie. Do not take your kid. It's rated right R for a reason. <laughs> It is definitely
2: no bueno. And so you, you don't <laughs> take your kid to this. My son, you know, my son, obviously, had, you know, growing up in a house with a lot of comic book stuff and heroes everywhere, he was like, "Daddy, I want to go see Deadpool, you know? I said, absolutely not. <laughs> like, yeah. we're not seeing this movie, <laughs> you know? And, and it, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, and if anything, I think it gives kids something to look forward to. Yeah. Because when I was a kid, one of the fun things about growing up when we did before the internet was it was fun to try to find and discover things that were older or are not meant for you. You know what I mean? So that when you were 12 or 13, you could finally see this movie and go, wow, and have it blow you away, which where I think, you know, it's when you have boundaries, I think it has a greater effect in the long run. Whereas, you know, if you just take break your kids to, to see everything, nothing has any impact. You know what I mean? It just all becomes
1: one, you know, giant entity. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. Did this one's not for the kids? No, <laughs> so you you, you
0: you didn't take your kids, Jamie? I'm guessing. I did not. No, we I, we went to see Star Wars again. <laughs> okay. <instead>. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> Rick, uh, yeah. thanks for coming on. This has oh, been thank great you for having me. Yeah. So tell b- before we let you go. Tell people where they can find you, where they can follow you, where they can hear you, all that good stuff.
2: If you just go uh, geekdad.com and you look under the podcasts, you'll find uh, both. Hey, you geeks. And the Star Wars podcast, Data One. Uh, we should have some new stuff coming out here pretty soon. We have some Deadpool stuff up now. And by all means, have a listen. And thank you guys once again. Awesome. Thank you so much.
0: All right, guys. Now we're going to go play our interview with Greg LaSalle. Hope you enjoy.
1: So you um, are the facial performer for Colossus. And I'm. for those who don't understand the process of how these things happen What exactly does that mean?
3: Well, um, there's this technology called motion capture, which has been used for quite a few years now, Um, but there's been an advancement in the technology, which allows the technology to capture the surface of, of an actor's face for every frame of film at very high resolution, and then mathematically transfer that performance to a computer generated character. With all the subtlety and nuance, and the wrinkles and, and the micro expressions, right along with it, um, so it allows the entire performance to be transferred over to the final computer-generated character.
1: So, how does this technology differ from what was used to create Gollum, for example, in The Lord of the Rings? Uh,
3: the, well, the, there are two two things that are different. The first is the the resolution. For something like Gollum, it's typically around two hundred to two hundred and fifty. Either glued on or drawn on marker points, mm-hmm. and then um, that's used uh, to generate a, a, a sort of data that's then used by a team of animators to get the final product. Um, this newer technology captures around 7,000 data points, which gives you all the subtlety of the surface of that skin. So. Um, you already have all the animation that's necessary and then it's mathematically transferred to the final performance with with very little animator intervention um typically it's the animators are just aiming the head the, the entire head in the right direction mm-hmm. uh tweaking some of the eye looks so that the eyeballs would be looking in the exact right position right um, things like that
1: so how is, I mean, if this is, is this specific to the face? I mean, that's why it's called facial perform, performance and facial capture. Yes. And so how is the rest of the body captured?
3: Well, it can be done in a number of ways. For Colossus, it's either hand animated or there's a stuntman in a traditional motion capture scenario where that generates a skeleton of where the stuntman or the performer was. And then the two are kind of Frankenstein together.
1: Okay. Uh, and I know much of your career has been devoted to facial motion capture. You've worked on a number of different films. How is the process mm-hmm. now um, different from when you first began your career?
3: Well, uh, the we well, break it down into two things. One is um, acquiring the the performance. And that's been about the same since this MOVA system was invented. It does a phenomenal job at capturing, like I said, the subtlety of the performance. Mm-hmm. Uh a, but the data wasn't easily transferable and uh recently about a year and a half or two ago uh, digital domain developed a technology called direct drive which mathematically using the computer transfers the um, performance so it doesn't require an animator to try to to try to actually intervene it actually just does it once they set up what i think are called correspondences so you just set up Like, okay, this is the center of the cheek on my face. This is the center of the cheek on Colossus's face. You put a dot there and say, okay, from there, then mathematically figure out what's going on all around that and transfer it to the other character. So that's the latest development, and it really is opening things up and being able to play characters that are full screen and have a lot of sympathy uh, and empathy, and you can read all the behaviors based on the the actual actor's performance without anybody um, tweaking it
1: from an actor's perspective is this is this new process the new technology is it easier or is it just kind of different but more
3: the same um i think it's easier because we now now like as we we when we first started Colossus, we thought okay in order to get this to play correctly you're gonna have to like make the performance bigger um and we realized after the first couple of shots that that wasn't going to work that actually just played exactly how you wanted it to play to show up on the final character. So I think that that's a difference because we used to you know, need to overemphasize things to make them look um, correct on the computer-generated character. But now there's so much information that all the subtlety is there. You don't need to, to do anything different in your performance. It just yeah. actually transfers over. Okay.
1: Seeing as how the technology has advanced and grown in the last five to 10 years, Where do you think that technology and the film industry in general will be five to ten years from now?
3: I think the next iteration is going to be to marry the body and the facial capture together so you can do them simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Um, There's obviously a big cost savings there, there's savings in time, and there's a savings in um, making sure that those two performances are connected, that they come from the same same performer you're just gonna naturally get that I, i think that's that's where the technology is trying to go right now and it'll it'll get there in a few years okay
1: i mean it sounds like it's a from the work that you're directly involved in it sounds like it's a pretty exciting time um but aside from that you know the work with mova that you've done and the work with facial performance capture what do you think is uh the most exciting aspect of filmmaking right now like what else is just dramatically changing
3: Well, I think I think all these tools that allow you to to tell a story that you could um, uh, you can create any world you want. And, you know, you've been been able to do that for a while now. Mm -hmm. But I think now you're able to now put in realistic, believable, sympathetic characters in those worlds because of the technology. Um, And I just think that that's a really, you know, it naturally was going to happen. But I think we're right. We're right on that now. And that's what's beginning to happen.
1: are are there any stories out there that you think could not have been told five years ago, 10 years ago that with this technology now is like they're ripe for the picking?
3: Well, I think in general, there's going to be more, more stuff coming off the the shelves that scripts have been written. And they've just kind of been waiting for technology to, to catch up, to make it so that it's seamless. And I think when, when I got started in this industry with this technology, um, the first movie I was lucky enough to work on was *The Curious Case of Benjamin Button*, and that script had been going around the studios for a long time, with and everyone's trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to make this where it can be one actor and not have to be you know, a bunch of different people and make it believable and the you know continuity to the performance and the technology allowed that to happen and now we're seeing that. The computer technology is allowing a lot of other things to happen, yeah, uh, as well.
1: Stories that just didn't seem possible three years ago are now like run of the mill almost.
3: Yeah, well, I you know I don't want to say run of the mill, <laughs> but um, they're doable. They're doable. <laughs> they're, they're, yeah, yeah. They we're past the idea that. That people are looking at something and going, "Oh, I don't. That can't be real. So it must not be real." Now you just get sucked into the world and stay there, which I think is where you want to be.
1: Yeah, for somebody who works on the technical side of things and sort of knows how the magic is done, does it ever get frustrating to you when, like, audiences are kind of not jaded, but they kind of like they think they've seen everything and they're just not wowed by what they see on the screen anymore?
3: Well. I think that goes both ways. One is I'm not sure you should just be trying to wow people uh-huh. because you can. Um, and I think it's bringing the storytelling back down now to a point where, where like I think in Deadpool is a good example of that, where the technology is used to service what needs to be told as far as story goes and not just because you can do something to shove it in the movie. Right. You know what I mean? Right, it, right. Even though Colossus is using the very new technology it's leveraging the fact that it's the best way to, to make Colossus in the movie. Right. Not, not saying, Oh, we, we discovered something new. Let's find a way to use it in our film. Right. Um, and, and that's what I, that's what I'm enjoying seeing now.
1: Yeah. Are you interested in pursuing more on screen roles or are you just sort of content to mostly be on the technical side?
3: Oh, uh, no, I like, I like both actually, because I love technology. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love, I love performing and acting quite a bit. So, um, I'm just looking forward to, to lots of things that are coming down the road.
1: Excellent. I, I was intrigued to read that you, uh, earlier in your career, you, uh, used to write children's music. Um, and I'm just wondering what, what it was that you worked on.
3: Um, well, I, one of the things I started out, um, when I got out of college was, um, working for a, a company that was subcontracted by, uh, companies like Disney, um, Sunburst Communications, I forget what all the names of them were, mm-hmm. um, back when VHS was big, right. you know, and um, they used a lot of music to tell and teach with. Um, so uh, I, I worked for a company in Connecticut that did that. And that's where I learned about video editing. Um, so I got to practice uh, arranging songs and things like that and recording uh, and it was a lot of fun. I, I learned a ton of things by doing that.
1: So how did how did you make that transition? I mean, you came out of a performance background, right? And so how did you make that tradi- mm-hmm. tr- uh, transition over to the technology?
3: Well, I, I, when I first went to school, I just studied playing the piano. Um, mm-hmm. Then I went back to school to Berklee College of Music in Boston because they had a, a music technology and synthesis degree, and I loved the technology. So I went there. And that got me going in, in computers and music and synthesizers and um, the new recording systems. Um, and then from there, I just I've always stayed on the cutting edge of the technology. My father's kind of as a scientist, and I grew up with not just pianos in the house, but, but two-player pianos. So oh, wow. even even back then, there was you know whatever technology we had was used to do something really cool. So and now I have a player piano, but it actually hooks up to a computer, so I can record myself and play it back.
1: Very cool. Uh, when audiences walk out of the theater after watching Deadpool, what do you want them to be thinking? What do you want them to be saying?
3: I want them to be thinking, how quickly can they buy a ticket to see it again? <laughs> and how fast they're going to tell their friends to go see it? I hope they're laughing. I hope they're laughing and that they had a really good, you know, whatever, hour and 50 minutes. Because uh, I think it's a lot of fun. Um, in a in a fun, sh- I mean, there'll, part, there'll be parts that maybe will be a little shocking. I don't know, but but um, nothing's overdone. It's it's all to make people laugh and have a good time. And I uh, best thing will be having them come out of the theaters laughing and saying they had a great time. Excellent.
1: And if you know the character at all, I doubt that you're going to be shocked, right? <sighs> <laughs> I I don't know. Um, oh really?
3: Well, I mean, I guess it depends on your imagination, but I'm hoping that there's some things in there that no one else thought of yet. So they'll be seeing or hearing them for the first time. Um, But I hope hope that their fantasies about what Deadpool and the other characters do are completely fulfilled um, because then they'll have a blast. And I think it is a lot of fun.
1: Awesome. I am definitely looking forward to it. I can't wait to see it. Um, Greg, I know you don't have a whole lot of time, so I really thank you for taking the time to chat. This has been uh, phenomenal. Thanks so much. And good luck with everything. I, ho- you- I hope you have a killer weekend this weekend. <laughs>
3: Thanks a lot. I appreciate
1: it. Take care.
0: All right, guys. You can find us on Twitter at the GBP Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at the GBP Podcast. At, I hope you like this episode of Unplugged. This is something I really enjoy doing. I had a lot of fun. It's a, it's a little See, bit. until we get the sound effect, I'm just going to do Okay, it. you're just going to do it. It's a nice departure from our our regular episode, and I find that it's just, you know, it's fun. It's, it's cool. a little
1: bit more relaxed Yeah Exactly it was, it, This is I think What more people think of When they think of podcasts it's Just right. you know A bunch of people Sitting around talking so, so, now, uh, so
0: now we need to just have Other podcasters on all the time Even on our main show Because that's what Most podcasts
1: are Yes just, you know, They <laughs> just invite Other podcasters on And they just You know It's this big circle So
0: <laughs> we, Yeah okay, We're not going to get Into that today I don't think <laughs> <laughs> The little Twitter thing Okay Alright guys Thank you so much We'll see you, thank you. On the main show
3: No This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.